Problem Solvers. I'm Judy Perlman, your host, and we have a very interesting show tonight. My guest is Dr. Chris Fisher. He's uh, with the Emergency Department at Cambridge Health Alliance. He works. He covers uh, Cambridge and Somerville, and he's been at the. Um, he's certified as emergency services physician, and he's been doing this kind of work for a long time. He's, he teaches it. He he runs it. He lives it. So uh, our topic today is rethinking treatment, collaborative approaches to substance abuse. It's obviously something we're all struggling with as a nation, as a community, and um, anything we can do to learn to get a leg up is really great. So Chris, can you just start like framing us up for like the Massachusetts picture? Sure, so um, like you said, we know that substance abuse is endemic in our society. Um, when you look nationally, 21 million people in the country need substance abuse treatment. One out of every seven young adults age 18 to 25 needs substance abuse treatment, but only 10% of people are getting the substance abuse wow. treatment that they need. And this matters because substance abuse treatment, substance abuse has a really high mortality. People are dying. This is killing people in our communities, um, and especially opioid use disorders, we know, have exceptionally high mortality. Um, so in Massachusetts, in 2016, there were 2,000 opioid-related deaths. There are tens of thousands of emergency department visits every year across the Commonwealth uh, for uh, opioid-related problems. And based on some relatively recent research that uh, came out, we know that um, if you're seen in the emergency department for an opioid overdose uh, and discharged, like most patients are uh, after an overdose, your one-year mortality is about 5%. So one in 20 of, of the people, the patients that we're seeing who are discharging are, will be dead in a year. Dead. Dead. So um, there's huge, uh, the stakes are incredibly yeah. high um, for this. and. Uh, when you look at what we've been doing in the emergency department, despite everybody's best efforts, we know that we're missing opportunities to connect people to treatment. Mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. so the problem is growing, the number of people suffering, and the solutions are not keeping pace. Whatever you guys have been trying, as hard as you've been working, yeah, Correct. you, you yeah. had not solved it. We have, we have not solved it. Not uh, solved it. And for, for decades, the, the way we approached treatment um, uh, was someone came in with an overdose. We would address their life-threatening problems. If they weren't breathing, we'd give them Narcan. We'd resuscitate them. We'd watch them for a little while. And then we'd hand them a list of community-based resources so they could get care. Um, and not surprisingly, that was not effective. And that, uh, yeah. that is, continues to be not an effective approach. We were just talking before the show about when your life is chaotic, which it probably is if you are using opioids right. or uh, you know whatever, things are not going well, to say, here, you go sort this out, find someone, advocate for yourself. Yeah. It's, it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't and, make and, any sense. And it's it it the emergency department visit is a potentially an opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, it sometimes is the point of kind of maximum openness to a problem, um, but also it can be 
the point of maximum resistance too, for a lot of the reasons we'll talk a little bit about, a little bit about the shame, stigma. Um, it's also kind of the point where things are maximally chaotic, yeah. both for the patient, for the staff in the emergency department. So sometimes it's a great opportunity to to intervene, uh, but sometimes it can also be a really hard opportunity. Yeah, but it is that pivotal moment, and yeah. if you can grab it, but also as we were talking about, and as I remember from my own uh, work in nonprofits and in human services, it may not be the first time right. that you have that touch point that sinks in. Could be the third time you're right. like, okay, this is ridiculous, I'm here again. Exactly. Let me have a different ending to this story. Yeah. Which yeah. is never always like a clean ending. I mean, right. how many of us really decide to stop doing something and then stop successfully forevermore? Right. Right. Very few of right. us. And, and addiction is a disease that is uh, incredibly hard to treat and incredibly hard uh, on the patients, too. Mm -hmm. So, um, Say a little bit more about that. Yeah. So, I mean, I th we're talking about kind of why things haven't gotten better, why things haven't changed. And I think there's a lot. There's a couple reasons. Uh, one, like I alluded to, there's this incredible stigma about substance abuse um, that kind of permeates our society. And it affects how patients or people think about their, their illness. It affects how um, healthcare providers uh, interact with patients with that illness. It affects so much uh, about how people get care. Um, mm -hmm. And so there's a huge amount of stigma associated with it, more so than probably any other illness that's that's out there now. Yeah. Well so, so it's really hard to it's hard overcome it's hard it. to overcome that. The the other thing is that um, this is a problem that that cuts across kind of all aspects of our society, mm -hmm. which is uh, challenging in that um, there's no one place where this is going to get fixed. Uh, the, the healthcare system plays a big role in this, but you're not going to doctor your way out of the uh, out of oh. uh, substance abuse. You you have to um, have collaboration across our community if we're going to if we're going right. to address it. Right, and that's it. that's sort of what we're going to talk about more yeah. in the solutions. I yeah. mean, we don't have to be right. rigorous about it, but yeah. So that that is really the problem is yeah. that. People are filled with shame. People around them are filled with judgment. I mean, I'm right. a very judgmental person, yes. so I, I know what that means. Yeah. It's like, oh, what, you know. Right. And then the harm reduction. Can you just explain the term harm reduction and how you guys use it yes. in your world? So put simply, um, harm reduction is uh, meeting somebody where they're at. Um, so it doesn't require somebody to go from uh, using to abstinence. It just is an attempt to try to meet somebody where they're at in their experience with substance abuse and uh, hopefully support them and celebrate any victory that you can. So um, that sometimes means if you're using heroin every day, um, getting engaged and maybe using heroin a little bit less often. And that's a victory, that's, yeah. that's a win. And celebrating that and then using that as an opportunity to to move the next step and get uh, down that kind of, we think of it like a staircase or a, a ladder of, of uh, getting you towards making sure that you're taking good care of yourself and that you're 
and, and that well. you have, and that you are more likely to be alive. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the concept of harm reduction. Again, we've talked about how I've I've worked in homelessness for so long. We for so long we were like. You know, the thing that we need to do is get people sober. They have to save $3,000. They have to have a job. And at that point, we'll let them have housing because we now know they deserve it and they can maintain it. And it's like totally the evidence-based piece of this is so amazing. Get someone in housing, no matter how florid their situation is, they're going to be glad to be there. And it's our job to bring the resources and the services to, to help them have a less harmful life today than yesterday, right. or next week from a week ago, from a month ago. Yeah. Yeah. The the exact same thing with with substance abuse. Uh, yeah. Engage people. Um, do that in a non-judgmental way, because if you don't, people aren't going to seek care. And yeah. Who can blame them if you if it's in a stigmatized, judgmental way? So you, um, we we all try to help people along that process. Yeah. And so we were talking about um, we were talking about sort of the systems of care. So that that's one that's that's something that we all know. I mean, there are the doctors. There are the public safety people. Mm-hmm. Then and so what you guys have been doing in Cambridge, I mean, you're not the only ones right. uh, around the world, around the right. country, there are these collaborative models coming. Actually, let me just interrupt for a second to say, this is Meet the Problem Solvers. I'm Judy Perlman. This is Chris Fisher from the Cambridge Health Alliance talking with us about new approaches, more collaborative approaches to rethinking treatment for substance abuse, opioid abuse, and other substance abuse um, issues, disorders. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So let's talk about those systems of care. They're so hard to manage, and yet that's it's what we have. Right. So um, w- when it comes to substance abuse, we think of the healthcare providers and the healthcare system as kind of this locus of care. Um, but there's also, I work in the emergency department. I see people when they're in the emergency department and don't have contact with them when they're not in the emergency department, and most patients get discharged from the emergency department and are living in the community. And so they're interacting with law enforcement. They're interacting with uh, uh, outpatient uh, mental health providers and uh, substance abuse providers. They're interacting with the court system. All of those are opportunities to to engage people in, in and they're op- they're operating they're interacting with their families right. they're interacting with their neighbors they're right. interacting in a lot of systems of formal and informal right yeah right so there so are tell these... us about your approach that that you, you guys are working on here right so what we decided is that we need to change how we're approaching uh, overdoses in the emergency department and specifically around the issue of getting people engaged in treatment um, so we, uh, one approach for a certain subset of that, that population is medication-assisted treatment and getting people um, connected with medication-assisted treatment, things like buprenorphine or Suboxone is the brand name, um, or methadone, or um, those are the biggest kind of uh, medication-assisted treatment mm-hmm. interventions. Um, but we need to do that while the patient's in the emergency department. Instead of giving them a list, uh, we are 
trying to engage them while they, after their overdose or if they're there just with, with withdrawal symptoms, um, initiating treatment with buprenorphine, prescribing it to them, having a warm handoff with a nurse case manager who then after they leave connects them with care in their community to continue treatment. Very cool, very important. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, and also while we're doing that, trying to engage with the community resources that are available. Yeah, so that's, that's how people started saying, you gotta talk to this guy, Chris Fisher, because it seems that there has been kind of the knitting together of a fabric. Yeah. So tell us about your key partners and so, how you guys do this. Right, so. In, Not all guys, sorry. In, in Cambridge, um, we're lucky to have a lot of resources. Sometimes there are these siloed resources we don't always work as well together as we should, but we work very closely with healthcare for the homeless because we have a large homeless population here. There's a lot of overlap with homelessness and substance abuse and mental health um, problems. We work closely with healthcare for the homeless. We work closely with the Cambridge Police Department, um, especially their social justice unit um, and, and uh, family unit because uh, they are out in the community interacting with people um, and trying to get them well. Um, we work very closely with uh, the ambulance service here, Pro-EMS, who um, are very engaged in not just transporting people to the hospital, but connecting them with care. Um, and we work a lot with the community um, uh, partners that are providing mental health services, substance abuse services, with the needle exchange, um, all these partners who are kind of have interests that align in getting people treatment for yeah. substance use disorder. Interesting. So when you say you inter interact with them, I'm, I'm trying to visualize whether that's like having meet monthly meetings or it's really on a client basis. Sometimes it's both. Sometimes uh -huh. it's, it's these standing monthly meetings. The first thing you have to do is actually be if you want to interact with community partners, you have to be out in the community. Mm -hmm. So part of it is getting out of the yeah. hospital and yeah. interacting with them. That means uh, going and being at the Cambridge Police community stakeholders meetings. That means going to um, uh, the homeless court session that Judge Schrago runs in, in Central Square, or in Harvard Square every month. Uh, that means uh, uh, interacting with the continuum of care and the, 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 the homeless outreach um, and being there. So sometimes it's being in a meeting, sometimes it's knowing that, hey, there's this person that's coming to the emergency department a bunch and we're really worried about, about them. And mm -hmm. so we're gonna reach out to the other people who are taking care of them. Right, so that's so interesting because really in the world of homelessness too, it can be kind of a system level thing right. or it can really be about Bill. Right. Like really, right. really worried about Bill Either I haven't seen him or I've seen him and he's doing terribly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so sometimes it's, it's a little bit of both. And, yeah. and a lot of the times at those meetings where you, there's just those conversations of, hey, I'm worried about yeah. this person. So and so, and yeah. can, you, can, can we try to come up with a way of, of addressing this? Because yeah. I can't do it myself. I, 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 I know in the hospital I can do only so much. Right. But if you don't do anything else, then this cycle just continues. Right. So. And we were talking also before the show about the um, sort of the double-edged sword of these really very uh, rich and, and heartfelt partnerships. But 
nonetheless, a police officer is a police officer. Right. And when someone is in the middle of the chaos of a substance abuse overdose, to have a, a police officer walk in is probably unsettling at right. best. Right. So these are complicated issues that um, start to get everybody a little bit outside of their comfort zones mm -hmm. and start to stretch um, uh, kind of these normal systems that we have, which, which is a good thing and because it challenges us to figure out what is it that we can do to help, how do our interests align, yeah. um, and how can we you know, build on that while staying true to our core values. My core values and my, the, the thing that drives me is might be a little bit different than what drives a police officer or the police department or that drives the, a judge in the court mm -hmm. um, or drives somebody who's a, a mental health outreach worker. So um, we have a lot of overlap. There's more where overlap. Where you converge. Where we converge yeah. Than, yeah. than we realize and we, um, those are the areas that we focus, yeah. that we try to focus on, so. Yeah, very interesting. You know, actually, since there's this sort of a learning moment, I want to just go back for a second. There are sort of two drugs, mm -hmm. two medications that we're talking about. One is Narcan mm -hmm. or Naloxone. Right. Can you just sort of distinguish between sure. what those are and what the other ones are? So Naloxone is a medication that's used to treat the effect of uh, an opioid. So opioids are things like uh, heroin and fentanyl. Those are what in the news, but also other medications that, that we use to treat pain, things like oxycodone or Percocet or um, hydromorphone, uh, medications that, that, uh, that we use all the time to, to treat pain. Um, naloxone reverses the effects of, uh, of opioids and does so almost immediately. The major effects of opioids, especially when taken in overdose, is uh, altered mental status, make, your brain stop working well, and it decreases your respiration, so stops your breathing. So um, everything is really shut down. Everything is really shut down. And in overdose, it, that, that can be, especially with highly potent medications like fentanyl, that can be nearly immediate. Um, so wow. you lose consciousness and you stop breathing instantly. Wow. Uh, naloxone instantly reverses the effects of those. So if you give somebody naloxone, then uh, they, stop, they start breathing again and they're awake, to the point where just like before they took the They've come back. They have come back. Wow. Yeah. All right. So that's so one, that's, one, that's yep. a kind of an acute emergent right. medication. Yep. Um, the other medications that we were talking about, things like buprenorphine or methadone, um, basically work like, they're what's called partial agonists, they mean, which means they work on the same receptors, um, but not to as dramatic an effect. So uh -huh. when you take something like buprenorphine, um, it is... Uh, an, op an opioid-like uh, substance that reduces uh, the craving that's associated with withdrawal symptoms uh -huh. when you're using things like heroin and fentanyl. So uh, uh, buprenorphine, uh, or suboxone, and methadone kind of replace the, the need for the, the heroin um, and allow you to function. Does it like? Does it sort of even out? It, 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 it like evens out. Yeah. It evens things yeah. out. Okay, interesting. Exactly. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's such a scary problem. It's such a scary thing. Yeah. And so, one of the things that we often talk about is sort of what is our takeaway? How do we send people after this conversation out feeling, you know, a tiny bit more competent to deal with yeah. what they've just learned about? So, um, let's talk about that. Sure. What are some of those takeaways that yeah. we wanted to? 
put out there? I think the first thing and most important thing is to know what's available in your community. Um, and if you don't know, uh, ask. So uh, in Cambridge, uh, it's if you are struggling with substance abuse and you need help and you want help, you can go to, uh, uh, you can ask a police officer, you can come to the emergency department and we will do what we can to try to get you connected to, to treatment. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, sometimes we have this system built up, but if you're in a place where they don't have those systems built up, it might be asking your primary care doctor. It might be um, uh, asking uh, some other doctor. It might be asking a clergyman member. Uh -huh. Right. That's these are things, these are problems that um, uh, are not because of the stigma attached to it, are not talked about as much as they should be, and yet affect everybody. Right, so rich, poor, old, young. There is no, um, uh, there is no defining characteristic that protects you from from mm -hmm. this. So um, part of it is just talk. But that's part of overcoming the stigma is is talking about it, acknowledging it, um, and so f finding somebody that you trust and that you like. Um, and people will be very surprised that those people might have had personal uh -huh. uh, dealings with it yeah. or might have a family member who is struggling with it or might know somebody or have a neighbor who's struggling with it that they've been helping. Right. So, um, so the first thing is um, if you're at a point where you want to do something about it, find somebody to, to help you. Right. And if you can't, just come to the emergency department right. and we'll try to figure it out. And what if it's a family member? What if I have a sister who's, I don't have a sister, but what if I have a sister who I'm really concerned about? Can I bring her or is that, does that get into sort of matters of commitment and? Yeah, it starts to get really tricky. Um, mm -hmm. There is a, in Massachusetts, there is a system of getting people um, committed involuntary for substance abuse treatment that goes through the courts. You can walk into any courthouse and a family member or a police officer can say, this person is out of control and I don't know what to do and they need to go to treatment and they don't want to go to treatment. So they are, well, the court can mandate that they go for treatment. Um, there are pluses and minuses yeah, to that right. approach. Yeah. Um, so I'm not pressing forward yeah, on that. Yeah. I just so sort the, of was, that's the extreme, yeah. but the, 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 the less extreme is that, um, uh, one, so if you had a family member who was struggling with it and you felt comfortable talking to them about it, I would just, you know, part of it is acknowledging our own biases and our own, the things that we struggle mm -hmm. with and being very honest and, and straightforward and forthcoming and uh, coming at it from a non-judgmental, mm -hmm. as a family member especially, loving kind of place of I want to help you. Right? And I and want to figure like, out what we can do to navigate this system. Can I go with you? Can I go with can you? Can we go together? Yeah, yeah. Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the, the, people, like we said, uh, almost everybody has had some interaction with this problem in their family yeah. or in their immediate community. So. Um, yeah. Oh, you know, we didn't really talk about the recovery coaches, yeah. but let's talk very briefly about sure. the very effective sure. team that you have over at the CHA, sure. the Cambridge Health Alliance. So at the Cambridge Health Alliance and lots of other places, we have, in addition to our physicians, our physician assistants, our nurses in the emergency department, all our other support staff, we have peer recovery coaches. These are people with lived experience of addiction um, who are now... Um, their job is to help get people connected to care. 
They work in our emergency department, um, and they are there to, um, to do just that, to try to engage people, uh, engage patients who are thinking about getting treatment for substance abuse or are there to get treatment for substance abuse mm -hmm. and, um, and help them. And, and this is a cordial, caring person it, who's like been in your shoes. Yes, it is been a, a non-judgmental, yeah. stigma-free way yeah. of engaging people. And uh, from my personal experience, what I have seen is that, um, is that the peer recovery coaches uh, engage with patients and talk to patients in a way that I can't as a physician. They make a connection that sometimes I have a really hard time uh, making because of the situation or the dynamics there, but they kind of instantly cut through that and they talk to patients, they engage with them, they uh, see where they're at and try to help them yeah. along. If they if a patient wants to go to detox, they will make the phone calls. They will sit with you yeah. and and get you to detox if that's what you want. Or if you want outpatient treatment, they will figure it out uh, with, with you. With you, yeah. see that? Yeah. See that's a really a really crucial part of this collaborative yeah. approach is actually a person to yeah. be side by side yeah. with the patient while they're facing this really scary and pivotal time. Absolutely, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, they they do. Uh, great work and they, we have found that they are uh, indispensable in the emergency department uh, to kind of cut through that chaos a little bit yeah. um, and, and bring it to a very personal level of, of getting people treatment and getting people care. Wow. Well, this has been really interesting. Chris, thank you so much. This is, um, we're coming to the end. This is Meet the Problem Solvers. Thanks so much for following us on Facebook. Uh, you can subscribe on YouTube and uh, Apple Podcasts or iTunes, I guess. What, I don't know what the difference is. Um, here's all our contact information. I will also say we're always looking for cool, interesting, important problems and guests. So if you know somebody or you are somebody and you want to come here and tell your tale, we really invite you to do that. So here's all our contact info, and it's meettheproblemsolvers at gmail.com if you want to send us a note. So anyway, Chris, thank you so much. I feel like I learned a lot. Great. And um, good luck to people who might be struggling with this. Great. You're not alone. You are not alone, um, and uh, you can get help if you need it. You can get help, and if it doesn't work the first time, you're not alone on that either. Right. This is truly a long, a, a life challenge. Yes, absolutely. And there are people, kind people, kind and capable people like Chris and his many colleagues and partners to help. Great. So thank you so much. Thank you. Really interesting. Thank you. I did not, not understand there were 2,000 deaths yeah. Yeah. in Massachusetts. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay, let's end right. this. Absolutely. Mm -hmm.